This is Influencing Insider, the weekly webinar that interviews Australia and New Zealand's best journalists about how they like to work with communications professionals. To view our complete library of episodes and register for the live shows, head to influencing.com forward slash insider. And welcome to Influencing Insider. I'm your host, Elliot Richardson, and joining me today is Emily McAuliffe, and she is a freelance travel writer who's written for uh, the Sydney Morning Herald, The Age, Lonely Planet, The Telegraph in the UK, to name a few. So I'm just bringing her online at the moment. Uh, If this is your first time joining us to Insider, welcome to the show. You can ask questions to Emily. Just drop them in the chat box on the right-hand side of your screen, and we'll do our best to get through them as we go. Emily, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. No worries. As I said, you're a freelance travel writer. Can you give us a, a bit of an idea then of kind of what, what you, you look at and, and where you most regularly pop up at? Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, I'm a freelance writer and copywriter. Um, I'm also a communications manager at a college here in Melbourne where I live. Um, so I wear quite a lot of hats, actually. Um, when I'm doing my feature writing, I focus mostly on travel. I do um, some other things as well. Um, yeah. Right for Lonely Planet, um, The Telegraph, not so much at the moment. I feel like most not so much at the moment for obvious <laughs> reasons. Um, Australian Traveller, International Traveller, um, quite a few in-flight magazines back in the day. Um, more recently, um, like the RSEQ Road Ahead, Campo Caravan World, um, those sorts of stories became quite popular, um, you know, in the last little while. And in terms of what I cover, a um, bit of a mixed bag. So I do do some um, hotel reviews, and I like luxury travel. Um, yeah, a bit of bit of everything. Like you know, just general destination pieces, food and wine. Yeah, a bit of camping. So I wouldn't say I focus on anything very specific or have a very specific outlet that I write for. As you mentioned there, you know some of your you know ones that publications that you're kind of known for in the past have dropped off a little bit so how has how has the past 18 months kind of changed for you um quite a lot um so i haven't actually been doing a lot of travel writing in the last 18 months um i think like everyone it's just been really challenging um that said i have done some and i've actually done some trips so just by pure dumb luck had some um, trips that went ahead and didn't get cancelled um I think like over the last 18 months, a big thing that I've noticed is advertising dollars have dried up um, for a lot of publications. So because I'm a freelancer, I rely on a publication to publish my work. So I don't have that control. Um, So yeah, some publications have folded or scaled back or changed management. So it's been a little bit hard to keep up, I think. And a few people have mentioned um the same sort of thing like some editors move on which you know always happens um for me international publications just weren't interested in australian content for obvious reasons like nobody could come here so they weren't really focused on that so yeah i've sort of lost a few relationships i guess but then also gained some relationships too and you know i'm quite excited about rebuilding because i think it's like a new you know it's a new environment everyone's going to be um trying to navigate this new world and new contacts. Um, 
you know, obviously from an operator point of view, some operators um, haven't survived this, unfortunately, or have had to scale back. So I think there's going to be some time just trying to get to know who's still out there and what they're doing. Um, you know, in the short term, there's going to be, I think, a lot of stories just having to cover their current state of the world because, you know, destination pieces that were written two years ago are probably not current anymore. So people are going to want to know, you know, what it's like on the ground now. Um, and then I guess another trend potentially is just um, a lot more of a move to digital, I've noticed. Um, again, I think it, it's cheaper for publications, um, you know, than having to run a print mag and also just a sign of the times, you know, you know, we've been moving towards digital for a long time, but I think it's just um, naturally building. So, you know, like video content, digital publications. Um, and then an increased focus on, you know, health and safety, vaccination, obviously. Um, that's been a change. But I, in the times that I've travelled during the last 18 months, um, like I went to Queensland, WA, the NT, it was kind of back to normal. Like I think soon we're going to forget a lot of this existed and things are going to bounce back. So I'm quite optimistic, especially looking at, um, you know, my friends who live in other parts of the world. Things seem to have bounced back okay. So we've got our first uh, audience question come in. This one's from Aisha. She asks, if you have any interest or thoughts around the changing attitudes to travel post-pandemic and how that may affect consumer behaviour in that space. Yeah, that's um, a good question. I think in the immediate term, I think safety and, you know, hygiene is going to be of interest to travellers. But like I said, like those times when I have travelled, it, I don't know, it just felt quite normal. Like it felt like we should be worried about those things. But I think once life goes back to normal, um, I think consumers are going to just slowly get their confidence back. Um, I think in the short term, there'll be a lot of travel to familiar destinations, perhaps, like people are just going to want to feel comfortable with where they're going. Um, potentially luxury travel, because, you know, everyone's, well, not everyone, it depends on where you base. So I'm in Melbourne, so I feel like I'm in lockdown for like 10 years. <laughs> so, you know, some people are going to want to splurge, like especially if they've been locked down for a long time, they might have a lot of leave banked up. Um, and, yeah, other um, consumer trends. Yeah, it's sort of hard to know at the moment. Um, I think people are going to want to go to places that um, have been, I guess, promoted quite well in the media as being careful and safe. Um, you know, you might have places in Asia or the Pacific Islands or New Zealand. I think those kinds of places are going to be quite appealing in the short term. So along those lines, uh, Justine's got a question. She asks, do you think stories around traveller profiles with an angle on what's the best post-pandemic destination likely to be featured? So for like, you know, if you're a solo traveller and you're going post-pandemic? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, so I know some operators have, you know, really been pushing hard, um, like tour operators in particular who are, you know, saying all our guides are vaccinated and we're taking this measure and that measure. Um and I think places like that or experiences like that are going to be quite appealing. And, yeah, like if you're a solo traveller, you probably are going to be interested in reading, um, you know, 10 suggestions of things to do because, you know, as things open up, you kind of might even be overwhelmed, like where to go first. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think those kinds of um, post-pandemic stories will be appealing for the next little while. And uh, from Juliana, she asks, is there an appetite for New Zealand content when the borders open again, particularly in the luxury wine escape space? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I'm, so again, I'm not a publisher, but I would definitely say New Zealand's going to be a big one. Um, I know we had a little taste of New Zealand there for a while and um, lots of people were really keen to get over there. And I think it comes back to safety, like, you know, Australia and New Zealand have kind of handled the pandemic in a similar way. So I think there's that level of comfort for people. Um, and, you know, Aussies love New Zealand and we love wine and you know all the beautiful scenery that New Zealand has to offer so I would say that would probably be a very popular destination. And James got a question about pitching he asks what's the mix in terms of you approaching an editor with a pitch versus an editor commissioning you and in the context of working with PRs are you happy to receive research pitches that you might then onward pitch to an editor to an editor for your regular for, for a regular title? Um. Yeah, so for me personally, I often pitch. I do sometimes get an editor come to me directly. Um, so it's a little bit of both and it really depends on the writer. So if a writer is really regularly writing for a publication, they might have the editor just coming to them being like, hey, can you file a story on this? Um, generally speaking, I think most writers are actually pitching to an editor. And so I think that is really important Um for PRs to know. Um, so yeah, definitely, if you can come forward with a pitch that's, you know, tailored to a particular publication, um, so something that, you know, a publication that perhaps I've written for before, or even if I haven't, haven't written for a publication, I'm always happy to pitch. Um, and if a PR has kind of done the work and said, you know, I've thought about this, this is the angle I think you could take like that is so helpful as a writer um, because, you know, you're taking some of the legwork out for the writer. And, yeah, I think you've got to be careful that it's a story and not just like a really heavy PR pitch because, you know, for the writer that's probably not going to be quite what they um, want to be sending to an editor. Um, but yeah, um, onward pitching, yeah, definitely. As you said, you tend to do a lot of pitching yourself. So for you, how do you look for, for stories and what, what kind of gets your mind going and you think, okay, this is something I can approach an editor with? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm signed up to just a lot of, you know, random emails and I read things. So there's just that general research that's kind of always um, going on in your mind as you just go through, you know, day to day. Um, for me, so I'm based in Melbourne. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy to take stories on Melbourne and I'll always just be looking around at what's happening around me and keeping up with the local news. And then this is going to be tricky for PRs, but then also, you know, places that I want to go. Like, you know, um, earlier in the year I went to uh, the Northern Territory and it was a trip that I'd just been wanting to do for ages. I thought it's now or never. Um, so, yeah, then I just started researching that destination and got some stories lined up. That way, and I think moving forward, yeah, right. You know, every writer has their preferences and places that they just want to go for their own personal interest. And then, you know, if you can get stories around that, then it's sort of a win-win for everyone. And for you personally, are you kind of as we start to reopen? And I know Victoria is hoping to get there as well. Are you looking to sit, look at more domestic travel for for your stories, or are you looking to go overseas? Um, as soon as I can go overseas, I'll happily go overseas. Um, yeah, it's actually been quite nice covering Australia. So I've done a bit of um, Australia travel during this time. And I think there will be an appetite for consumers to still want to travel around Australia. Not everyone is going to jump on a plane and go overseas. I think some people are going to be quite hesitant to go overseas just for the next little while until we kind of work out the lay of the land and 
how effective the vaccinations are and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm definitely open to going wherever we're allowed. I guess, again, it, it does bring a bit of uncertainty. And I think for PRs, it could be tricky. Like, you know, you've got to think what happens if there's a sudden lockdown or someone gets sick or, you know, who, how, how are you going to work with the rider? How are you going to get them out of that situation? Um, you know, there's a, there's a few more logistics now, I think. And I think we're just going to have to muddle through them for the next little while. Well, along those lines, Brittany's got a question about that. She asks, how do you think media will feel with media for Mills coming back? Cautious or keen, do you think there will be more rules or guidelines involved for media to go? Uh, that's a really good question. I think it's going to vary from writer to writer. Um, I was speaking to some of my writer friends about this a while ago and it was almost like a 50-50 split. Like some people were like, I just want to do my own thing. Um, so obviously things have changed a lot since then. Things are changing all the time. Um, so some people are probably going to want to work with a PR on like a, a personalised trip. Um, for me personally, I'm more than happy to go on a familiar. Um, you know, I assume, you know, everyone's going to be vaccinated now, like I'm vaccinated as well. Um, you know, I feel like things are just going to go back to normal a little bit, again, looking at what's happening overseas at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't be hesitant to organise a familiar and, you know, you just have to sound it out um, with the writers as to whether it's something that they're, they're keen for. And um, in terms of rules and guidelines, um, you know, I think insurance is going to be a big one. So, you know, you might ne might not necessarily arrange the insurance for the rider, but perhaps if you've done a little bit of research and said, you know, these are the ones that will will cover you for this particular destination. Um, yeah, just really nutting out what happens if there is a lockdown or a quarantine requirement, who's going to pay. That kind of stuff is probably worthwhile talking about beforehand and it might be a little bit case by case for a while and, and for you when you're being pitched what to you makes a good pitch um number one is definitely personalization um i get a lot of press releases all the time and you can always tell if it's a scattergun you know pitch or just piece of news um, so yeah, if you're wanting me to pitch your stories, so basically a lot of the time I'm pitching a story on your behalf. So it's always nice if you've, you know, thought about the kinds of stories that I might want to cover. Um, or, you know, it could be another writer. So say if you've got a ski destination that you want to cover, find a writer who has covered ski destinations before. You probably, you know, got a, a better bet of, um, getting them across the line. Um, yeah, I think if it's just like a pay there kind of pitch, I don't really pay that much attention, to be honest. Um, and I think a lot of writers and editors would probably say say the same. Um, yeah, I again, like for me, that personalisation is key because, you know, sometimes I'll get PR pitches that say, you know, do you want to write a story about the 10 most, you know, family-friendly caravan parks in Western Australia or something? Like for me, I don't have kids. I don't live in Western Australia. Like there's no incentive for me to cover that kind of story. So I think it takes a bit more time, but I think, yeah, getting to know the writer or just not even getting to know them, just having a little bit of a look at their portfolio. Most writers have a portfolio. Um, you know, getting to know different writers through different events and networking forums. I know that's been a little bit challenging 
during um, the current times. But yeah, th this is all going to help your your chances of getting a story across the line or even just getting your writer's attention because that's the first thing and you've got to understand that, um, you know, writers and editors are just getting flooded with press releases all the time. So, um, you know, if you've taken that little bit of extra time, it really does help and, you know, I'll always reply if I feel like someone's genuinely reached out to me with a pitch that's been thought, thought through and that kind of suits um, the style of writing that I do. And so Maddie's got a, a question about that uh, or similar to that. Uh, she asks, do you have a preference on how PRs should contact you with a story? Is there a prime time you'd like to receive pitches? And are you happy with a phone call or do you prefer emails? Um, for me personally, I definitely prefer an email. And then if it's sort of a serious, you know, something I'm seriously considering, um, we can definitely follow it up with a phone call. Um, prime time. No, like I check my emails all the time. I do a lot of my work after hours on weekends. So for me personally, I don't mind when you send me a pitch, even if it's like 10 o'clock at night, it doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, I'd say, I don't know, I can't speak for everyone, but I feel like email's always a good start. And Catherine asks, how do you feel about group for mills internationally or do you prefer individual for mills? Um, yeah, I'm totally fine with females and even internationally. And to an extent, I feel like, you know, females can kind of be easier in a way, um, probably not for the PR, <laughs> for the writer though. Um, you know, if you've got someone who's kind of looked into everything for you, especially with like COVID restrictions and whatnot, um, and can kind of lead, lead the group and, you know, help navigate um, transportation, those kinds of things on the ground, I think it's actually quite helpful. So I, I quite enjoy um, Group for Mills, but again, it's probably going to come down to the individual writer. Okay, uh, We've got a couple more questions coming to the audience and I think we'll cap it there. Um, so Kathy asks, given travel restrictions, are you still happy for a pitch that doesn't involve a Famille? Um, Yes, I am. I probably, like for a Famille, I feel like I'm more open to going to different destinations. If it's an individual trip, um it's generally I want to go somewhere that I want to go like that I was sort of thinking of going to anyway I know that kind of seems a bit strange um but yeah when it's a group trip it's sort of like it's very well organized there's generally going to be lots of stories like story angles that you can get out of it um but you know that said you know, I, I think um what I'm trying to say like if I want to go somewhere specific I will generally reach out to the PR, so I'd probably do it the other way around. Um, so again, you know, Northern Territory as an example, it was somewhere I wanted to go. So then I reached out to the PRs in that area and said, this is a trip I want to do. Can you help me? And kind of did it that way. And a final question from, question from the audience. Brittany asks, do you have any airlines you don't travel with or want to use? Um, no, I can't say there's like definitely reputable airlines, <laughs> but I've been on some pretty shonky airlines in my day. Um, I guess with COVID restrictions now, you want airlines and, you know, anybody, um, you know, whether that's a tour operator or a hotel, like people who are taking COVID seriously, I feel like that's going to be pretty standard now. Um, so there's no, no airline like off the top of my head, um, but I think, you know, safe and reputable is always a positive. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, just quickly from me, uh, are you open to PRs following up their pitches? Yeah, I think, again, if it was a genuine pitch um, that was addressed to me. So sometimes, yeah, I just get 
random press releases that don't, you know, um, they just aren't of interest at all. And I can tell there was no thought that went into them. And then I get a follow up, you know, every two days and those things I tend to ignore. Um, but, you know, if you've sent a genuine request, like sometimes emails get missed, sometimes I'm busy, sometimes I'm thinking about it. Um, you know, I'd say maybe wait a week. Um, and yeah, definitely happy for a follow up. And just finally, what's the best email address to catch you on? Uh, yes, so it's em at emilymcauliffe.com. And yeah, you might want to type that out. But yeah, McAuliffe is M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. Yep, there you go. Fantastic. That's yep. in the chat box if you need it. Emily, thanks for so much for joining us this afternoon. No problem. Hope it was helpful. No worries. We'll catch you later. Thanks. Bye. Bye. And thank you very much for joining us this afternoon on Influencing Insider. That was Emily McAuliffe. If you wanted to double check anything Emily said or you wanted to, you know, um, check that email again, you will get a replay link in your inbox a little bit later this afternoon so you can grab that there. Uh, you can also grab this episode as a podcast. You can go Influencing Insider. We're on Anchor or on Spotify. Um, so you can check us out there. Uh, we also have all of our previous 100 plus episodes in influencing.com forward slash insider. So if you go in there and sign up, you can grab all of those previous episodes. We'll be back next week. We are airing on Thursday, so keep that in mind. We've got a brand new format. We've got a masterclass with a representative from Watterson and a journalist from The Australian. So you'll get an invite to that tomorrow. Keep an eye on your inboxes. And until next week, I'm Elliot Richardson. Bye for now.